Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Jordan Cortese, and this is Aguilar Radio. Holding down the incredibly funky low end for singer Jamiroquai, Annie Lennox, Tina Turner, Brian Ferry, and so many more is UK great Paul Turner. Paul is a hero in the British bass community, but his tight, musical, and infectious bass lines have crossed over the pond to the US and beyond, making him one of the most influential bassists in the world of soul and R&B. In this episode, we chatted with Paul about his love and appreciation for soul music, the dynamics of playing stages and arenas with Jamiroquai, and what sound and feel bassists should be striving for on stage and in the studio. And with that, let's dive into our convo with Paul Turner. Okay, hi everybody. Welcome to our next episode of Aguilar Radio, and we're here today with none other than Mr. Paul Turner, all the way from the UK. Paul, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you very much for having me. Of course, man. And so uh, let's let's dive right into it, man. We were just before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about the world of soul and R&B music and really its importance. And I believe, uh, you know, the the future of soul and R&B music coming out of the UK. I think you guys have such a unique appreciation uh, for this genre and a reverence for this genre. But tell us a little bit about where did your love for soul, R&B, funk, where did that come into the picture for you? Uh, Those things generally come back to people's early days, don't they, and how they grew up and what they grew up around and what their parents played on on their record players and stuff like that. And, um, you know, my parents were probably much like many others in as much as playing uh, things from... Elvis Presley and Tom Jones through to a lot of things like uh, Ella Fitzgerald and mm-hmm. Louis Armstrong and Duke Ellington and and um, but I grew up in a uh, I'm originally from from the northeast of England but I I spent 15 years growing up in a place called the Isle of Man mm-hmm. and my yeah. parents ran a, a hotel and restaurant there and um, and in the hotel bar they had a a jukebox and. And really, I've got to say that so much of what I grew up listening to was from was from that. And, really? and that would be there was things you know we have things like Gladys Knight and the Pips to um, Dion Warwick through to something like Ian Jury and the Blockheads and the wow. Beatles, and so it was quite varied. But but um, that's, that's where a fantastic I, jukebox, by the way. Yeah, well, I, did to get, I, I was allowed a little bit of an influence as I got older and, and what might have gone on there. But, but um, yeah, we generally had some good, we definitely had some good records on there. And I, so I kind of grew up listening to, to things like that. And I, I was always super passionate about music. And my first kind of real passion was for things like Hendrix and, mm. and Led Zeppelin and um, Cream and those kind of psychedelic rock things, which... Really, I was um, kind of too young for when I was listening to those things, or when I was into those things. Generally, most of my friends had moved on, were listening to more kind of pop orientated things. But I kind of went from really being into that to then really diving deep into into um, soul R and B and and kind of uh, things like I mean, fusion can often be seen as a dirty word, but yeah. I'm not Things like um, like Weather Report and, and yeah, um, the kind of what I would class as the, the the classic kind of bands, you know, Marvishnu and and um, and getting into Stanley Clark and and was there like a common denominator or, though for those genres? Like like uh, okay, now you went from Weather Report, Gladys Knight and the Pips, but like if could you identify whether it's one or a couple things that you said, man, this I always was it the energy, was it the pulse? Was it? it was definitely a spirit. I've always been really into um, things that have some kind of soul. And I mean, music generally should have, <laughs> you know, almost by definition, it should should be coming from the soul. It should have some some spirit. But you can usually there's certain things out there that kind of get you. And yeah, and I was also a teenager around the punk. I was a teenager around the punk era, so I was kind of um, influenced by that sensibility but also that was the, the disco era too really yeah and, interesting you know, whilst we had things like the police and 
Um, Ian Jury was a huge influence on me. Um, the, those guys were also kind of playing with a with with soul, but a punk sensibility. And I love that oh, kind of interesting, energy. Yeah. I love the, the whole attitude, but I like the way that they were mixing things that I'd kind of um, become influenced by or had grown up listening to. You know, like. Mm -hmm. so, um, whether it even be something like the Drifters or something like that, oh, uh, yeah. through to um, then kind of uh, hearing something with more attitude, yeah. I, I just liked things that had that kind of got under my skin and, and had a had a had a soul and a passion and, and was sincere. Was Do you think that, that there was something unique about um, being in the UK and experiencing that music? Because we were talking a little bit about. Um, you know how the UK is a is a special special place when it comes to the melting pot of music, because so mm -hmm. much of what has come from uh, the American experience has made its way across the pond, um, and you guys have seemed to, at least from again watching from our side, um, have taken all of this and created such a beautiful you know mix where all of this music has a place. Yeah, I I, I think that's been going on. For, for many decades, hasn't it? You know, the, yeah. and it's definitely American influence that it comes from. You know, whether you're talking about going back to, you know, some of our classic, um, well, you could say going back to the Beatles, but going back to also things things like um, our great kind of blues players yeah. um, will always tip their hat at the, the you know, the, the obvious um, American influences. Mm -hmm. But I think there's always been an encouragement in the UK for there to be some kind of cross pollination and cross influence and, and mixing of different styles, and that's always been really welcomed. And people, have, I think, have kind of always liked it when when uh, there's been a, a clear influence of, of maybe something that's soulful mm -hmm. and funky with something that's a little bit more rocky and yeah, you know, or, or um. Even just talking, even then, even though I had no idea that I was going to say that the police earlier on when I was kind of thinking, mm -hmm. um, there, you know, you can hear soul and, um, you know, I wouldn't say you could hear jazz, even though Sting was always influenced by jazz, but you can hear, yeah. you can definitely hear soul and R&B influence, even in their early punk stages. It's and, interesting that you say that. You know, those kinds of things were, were always kind of in, encouraged. And, um, and I think that's been something that the UK and, and other certain parts of Europe has been able to do from the American, the post-war American influence. And, yeah. and then what happened, you know, so you, we'd have, I think, I believe it came from, from, um, you know, a lot of American, um, military people, mm -hmm. and collections influencing. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't have any direct contact like that, but I cannot, I can't deny the fact that. All my friends and everybody who loved music yeah. was always playing American music. Yeah, um, and the police. It's funny when you say that because, like, yeah, because the, with the police, it's like it's it's got soul R and B. It's got that punk. It's got that drive um, that mm -hmm. I think is in you, especially Stuart Copeland, because he's just like a powerhouse, you know, going there. Mm -hmm. But it also is a mu it's music that gets you to move to an extent, which I yeah. feel like, you know, is something that I think about with your, you in particular, your bass lines and a lot of the stuff you've developed um, alongside Jamiroquai. I mean, if you watch any clip, folks that are listening, of uh, Jamiroquai concerts, those people are getting down. What's, tell us yeah. about the energy f from these crowd. I, I feel like, like Jamiroquai fans are a unique breed. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we have a very kind of passionate, fan base and, and it's great to kind of be associated with that you know since I, I love being a part of the band and and being able to enjoy that uh, from a reciprocal perspective that's fantastic and mm -hmm. um, one thing that I do know is that even some of the some of the music that I listen to and, and some of the bands that I love that may even fall under the same kind of category sometimes don't necessarily have the same um, high energy before. Mm -hmm. And I mean that with full respect, because quite often I, I like listening to, I can listen to some deep, dark stuff at home. And I kind of like, you know, I'm always trying to boot me around. But what I do love about, about um, Jamiroquai is that there is always an energy in the performance. And I think that 
that means that when I think if people put a Jamiroquai record on, they think of it, it's it's almost like you're getting ready for Saturday night. It's not really, yeah, yeah. Not, it's not really kind of what you do, what you put on to kind of chill you out. Although there are songs that can chill you out, but <laughs> it's that it's def. I think it's definitely an, a, a feel good, energizing uh, style of. Yeah, it totally is is, is a feel good. You can't help but like respond, you yeah. know, when you hear it. And and uh, and I think you know even that comes, uh, come, that comes from his his um, vision for the for the band and, and what he likes. You know, interesting. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I mean, he always makes it clear that he, he wants things to to um, maintain a, a boogie, as he'll call it, mm. um, and that and even if even if he's wanting to hear something a little bit rockier, it's still, he still wants it to retain that. Or um, certainly for, for stuff that we would perform live in a live set um, from the, you know, it's no, it's, there's never really kind of a set list. There's a collection, it's a pool of tunes. That, really? That kind of always have, uh, you know, songs he, that he might kind of say, oh, maybe we should consider doing that tomorrow night or, or or in, in a couple of hours' time, sometimes you might say it, but um, but it's a pool of tunes, and they will generally be ones that have that that are kind of higher energy tunes from the records. So so we rarely play ballads. I mean, uh, it's very rare for us to to play ballads on on the gig. Yeah, it, it's funny. Like when I think about Jamiroquai, there always there always feels like a sense of surprise. Uh, when you're when you're watching some of these concerts and it's fun to watch you guys i have to say well, it's a great band dynamic that's that's another thing that definitely is is a, a definite angle from jay is to keep us and himself kind of on on edge a little he doesn't like that safe feeling he likes interesting it. so um i mean we've done you know we, we've done some things that have kind of shocked me when I've kind of been they wouldn't shock me so much now but you know, <laughs> under, um, on my first um, American trip with the band it was in 2005 and we were doing Jay Leno show and I'd done that show with Annie Lennox and different people in the past and I know how those shows run and you know how, how kind of cool and the, the, you know the American chat show scene is such a great um, yeah. educational thing for live music performance because I when I watch those things and I see just how good the music sounds, you know, that this is a, when you're doing music live on TV, so often well, you are always at the mercy of the engineers and, and the mix uh, can sometimes be a little questionable. But mm -hmm. generally, American TV shows have that down. And, and I've always loved that. But I know how kind of slick the operation is. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, done, I can remember the first time we did yeah, Leonard, we were supposed to do a different song. We actually, we actually sound checked a tune, and I say sound checked. We camera checked it. You know, literally ran it in the studio, so that the camera guys could mark um, their camera angles, and the, and the show producer could could have his his notes mm -hmm. and kind of have everything ready for the tune. And it was the song that we were promoting as the single, um, for that for that album at the time, which was. Um, uh, it was the Dynamite album, and it was um, feels just like it should. Was the was the oh, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lead single, lead song, and um, and as we were leaving the changing room to go to the stage to do the gig to do the show, mm -hmm. they said, "Oh, we're not doing that tune. Let's do a different tune." What? Wow! We did a different tune. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That must have caught everyone by surprise. <laughs> yeah, not, not least the record company rep, you know, who was... Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, all the camera guys and everybody thinking, what the hell is this? This isn't the song that we did an hour ago. Wow. So, you know, that's... that's Man, that is gutsy. A fun example. But wow. Things like that that kind of happen just before you're about, we're about to walk on stage. And sometimes it's done... Uh, I think because he's kind of reading a situation. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think, you know what? I've got a feeling that they, they, you know, especially if it's a crowd thing, and he might think, mm -hmm. you know, he might look and kind of get a certain sense that, you know, maybe a, a, a kind of a carnival vibe tune. Yeah. Or a, or so a, like, 
marketing I, thing or something like that. You know, so sometimes yeah, mm-hmm. he'll drop something like that if if the mood takes him. Yeah. Um, but it's that thing of keeping people uh, energized and on their toes, and and so that almost like a spontaneous performance comes out. And and it's I wouldn't say it's not like it's it's not like kind of um, Miles would have kind of just pointed at somebody and said you know go <laughs> you know, blow blow over some different changes to what what we were normally doing or something mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not that kind of thing but it's 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 a kind of a, a close pop version because when yeah, yeah yeah maybe well can i was going to ask because oh, there's kind of thing with a hundred thousand people and yeah um, and he's called a different tune or he said he wants to do something different as we're walking onto the stage um and it does have an effect even though like i said it's not it's not reinventing the wheel but it's definitely kind of um yeah. not just doing things in the safe way that so many situations are performed which what? is slick um, yeah but I, I can remember first tour standing there doing we're doing songs and i'm kind of thinking i've never played this tune with a band before mm-hmm. i have no idea how we're going to end this tune and that's kind of great and i i find that really energizing and i've I'd kind of done that thing when i've been doing little club dates and i've done that thing obviously if you're doing a sunday brunch jazz gig and you kind of got the yeah. real book you can't you know you can't you, you know that if somebody just kind of goes right we're going to do black office as a reggae and you just counts it off mm-hmm. you, yeah you play because you've got to play you play something but um but i think when you're doing it and there's a huge huge kind of you know maybe festival audience and tv cameras it's it's not the norm to then suddenly kind of be be doing something that's yeah well there's something i was going to ask because like you guys i feel one thing that's no well now knowing that you pivot so much to keep you know that keep everyone on their toes every time you guys perform it it's it's so clear and uh dare i say perfectly performed um, without feeling Ooh. sterile or, <laughs> but without feeling sterile or anything, it's like, like, you know, it, it has that James Brown band kind of quality to it where it's like, we don't know where this is going to go, but just be ready. What, yeah. what do you think is the quality of you guys? Is it the relationship you have as musicians? Is it the, like, what enables the, the, the trust to happen on that bandstand to allow those kind of moments to happen? Well, you said a name straight away that kind of made me that i i would have used as a as a um not wanting to kind of you know compare ourselves to legends but um, <laughs> but james brown was well known for kind of you know like stamping his foot in a certain way or giving a look in a certain way and that meant everybody knew to move to the change yeah we basically look at jay the whole gig for mm. change when he's you know obviously if we're doing a tune and he hasn't come in then we know that it, that you know, the, the first one is coming in a little bit later because he hasn't started. But because there's, there's nothing, we're not running anything to track. We mm-hmm. have a, a guy on the, well, we have a guy um, in the current live situation who, who plays some um, like live loops through Ableton and stuff like that. But even that's very spontaneous. And it's the first time we've ever had that. But there's, there's nothing to kind of, um, there's no reason we can't change anything at any point. So, in other words, there's no kind of track running or anything. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so we're constantly looking at Jay, and if he hears something that he likes, or if he wants to go to a certain thing, and if he hears any of us play something that he digs, then he quite often just turns around and points at that person, and 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 then he might kind of indicate that he wants other people to stop playing, and we just kind of focus on that as a as a cool little kind of avenue, and that might be then. Um, something that we might kind of jam around for a little while you know that could be a, a, a bass line a guitar line a, yeah. a keyboard part and um, a horn thing that he might hear one of the guys do it or or derek and Shola on drums and percussion might do something or he might just kind of say let's just break it to that and see what happens but it's constant it's always a case of us constantly looking at, at him yeah and, 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 and reading his body shape and his body language and you kind of learn how to when he wants to kind of pick something up and when he wants to kind of, you know, after working with somebody, you can kind of, I mean, I've always done that thing anyway. As you, whenever I'm playing, I lo- I've always been involved in in bands with good singers. I've been very lucky in that regard. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you kind of get to really 
that singer wants to go. And I just, I constantly stare at the singer when I'm playing. Yeah. Because you read their, their body language and you kind of try to give them what they're wanting dynamically and emotionally. And, and so um, that's that's kind of how yeah. we're, where we're coming from. And so we're constantly looking at him for his, uh, just for his kind of body language and then his yeah. indications as to where he might want to go. And, and sometimes he says things like, you know, instead of doing this tune, which may have a big guitar intro, mm-hmm. um, Matt, the people play and say, oh, you, you start it instead of the instead of the normal famous guitar intro or vice versa yeah and either way or you might say let's start a tune we've done gigs where he said let's start the set with the middle section of traveling without moving which is just a basically it's a bass drop and and even the lighting guys from our own tour weren't expecting that. It's just because he's just decided that that's how we <laughs> see where we go from there. And see Maybe he's we... just messing with everyone. Maybe, maybe he's know, just like, I who knows? He just wants to keep him, you know, yeah. Well, um, uh, what's the kind of relationship that you have as like as a bass player? Like, how do you end up responding? Because I think when something when you hear a lot of um, uh, songs, both by you know him and uh, well, Jamiroquai in particular it reminds me of a lot of early like 60s records where and 70s records where the bass was the loudest thing in the mix mm-hmm. it was so up front that yeah. you know sometimes you listen to like youtube clips and you have to like get some good speakers to hear what's going on on the bass there's yeah. no there's none of that missing when you hear Jimmy and you're so up front um mm-hmm. and it's such a driving part of the sound but it talking about these like spontaneous moments you know your your bass lines are so um they're particular but they're also kind of loose how do you like like, how do you respond when you see him, you know, picking up some different moves? Because this, this guy, Jamiroquai's got dance moves, and he can yeah. he can get down. So how do you, like, like tell us what's going on in your head. Like, do you do you start to improvise? Do you start to mess with even stuff that, like, people who are in the audience, I feel like Jamiroquai fans, they know these bass lines. They're, they're yeah. expecting to hear some stuff. Well, first of all, I would always be aware of what, the original tune if mm-hmm. I didn't play on the original tune what that was and if I did play on the original tune then make some you know remember what that was um, but that doesn't necessarily mean how the tune is that that's how the tune is going to be form, performed it, it doesn't mean that at all we kind of do some some of the most famous back catalogue will be done in a totally different way and then maybe on an on another run of dates we might revert to kind of doing those tunes that have been totally differently performed and do those more like um, the original records and do something else totally different. So yeah. that, there is always things changing, but you know, um, things like like with J- getting back to James Brown, you know, quite often they would do things at breakneck speed, or the Jacksons would do things at breakneck speed. Mm-hmm. You don't. That doesn't necessarily mean that everybody just speeds up their parts all of the time. You kind of you you take what you you kind of a uh, you make the tempo and the vibe. And the, and the part all work for that that particular situation. And so if it ends up that we're doing something faster or with a slightly different beat, I change the line accordingly and I'll mm-hmm. make it work accordingly. And sometimes that might just be a note length thing or a, a tonal thing or, or leaving a couple of notes out or adding a few more notes in. If, or if, if the, the vibe um, kind of needs that. And you just, I, I think... You, just get used to doing that really so it's it is constantly kind of reworking whilst always knowing what the mm-hmm. the original vibe was because you if, especially if we're doing it like with with the intention of it being like the original vibe then you want it to have that but if if we're running it at a slightly faster tempo or a slightly different groove to people are playing different instrumentation yeah then then you kind of you have to be aware and i think that just comes from years of touring with with anybody, you kind of start to realize that how you learn to make sure that you craft the part according, you know, it's not yeah. always just a case of literally learning how the original record or what you did on the original record and taking that to the stage. You have to kind of, you, you adapt it because yeah. sometimes the environment might mean that certain things don't work. I mean, I do think quite often I'll go and see bands in, in, a, in a big arena. Most of the things that work so well are those kinds of you know the, the classic kind of power trio or you know four or five piece maximum are usually the things that work 
in big arenas because in big arenas you do, you, you can't usually def, define what's kind of um, yeah or you you can't hear I should say what's really coming out if the mix is too busy. <laughs> I mean, we do play. Everybody's parts are quite busy in Jamiroquai. Still, manage, we still manage to make it work, fortunately. But I think we're all aware of not trampling too much on. Whilst everybody's playing busy things. We're kind of it's like a you know we're all, we're all trying to knit. Yeah. You know, Find the find the nice little holes. Not necessarily fill in all the holes. Sure, but sure. Holes just bounce off each other's playing nicely, so that there is always a bounce. Do you uh, feel like the the stu- the studio experience you guys have had? Because uh, and I want to talk about the studio overall because of uh, of course you know you um, besides you know Jamiroquai, you've done so much session work. But something that is I think kind of unique is that with him, you guys have captured. I really hate to call them passes, but you've decided to capture performances and then go. Whereas a, uh, a lot of times in the studio, you may, we were talking about this, you know, you might do three or four passes at something. You'll find out later which pass gets used, or sometimes they'll chop up and use a combination of that. Yeah, but do yeah. you feel that be, um, when you get on stage, you're able to do what you do as a baseline, uh, as a bass player, because you've gone from the studio where you've already, you almost like you guys have already performed this for each other first. Mm-hmm. That lets the live experience take on a different shape. Yeah, there is definitely some of that. I think uh, much like when we're on stage with Jay and he's looking for things to kind of grow and to become, you know, um, more intense and, and, uh, and more exciting as, as they go on. Um, we all like music that has that. We're all kind of we're all fans of the same music in the band. You know, we all kind of love so much of the the kind of classic American <laughs> uh, <laughs> stuff um, that those things always had. You know, some super cool thing on the fade out or something. Yeah, really, yeah. Somebody would play something great just going into the solo section or the middle eight or the. You know, there was always like little moments and mm-hmm. and. Um, Jay likes that, you know, I mean, I know sometimes I've kind of felt like, you know, the tune might be nailed and, and he, and he might kind of just say, you know, let's just go, go crazy for another take or another, that's you know, awesome. Another pass. But then other times he's almost kind of just gone. There's been a couple of tunes where we've literally only played the tune once. Yeah. Maybe even without a vocal, maybe him just kind of saying, go to a chorus, go to a verse. And we just kind of, because we've had some root, we kind of routines, mm-hmm. a few ideas for for, for vibes, and yeah. then we haven't heard the tune again until until he's put his vocal ideas on it further down the line. So it, it can vary, but he's definitely always wanting to um, have things that just kind of pick up and 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 prick up the ears as the tune moves along. Mm-hmm. And so having done that in the studio, yeah, it definitely means that we can transfer that to the stage. Do you feel that like that's young people? That's yeah. how I like to hear music as well. I want to hear. Interesting. Want, it's just cut and paste. I I love EDM and I love you know hypnotic grooves. I, uh-huh. I I mean you can't tell me that you know every James Brown groove wasn't a hypnotic groove. They were so hypnotic, yet they were also growing and moving ever so slightly. You know, and Bootsy's line at the end of Sex yeah. Machine, the line he's played at the beginning. Things were still kind of organically changing and 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 moving and um, and reacting. And there's I, some, yeah, it's funny because like there's, I feel there's something special about just doing that pass. Like I remember Pino, I saw uh, I saw an interview with him, and he was saying, you know, uh, it, for him it was the first take is always the take. Everything else after that, you know, because it's it's that initial like gut performance yeah, to what you're feeling. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like, you know, with, I mean, what do you say to, you know, because the, the, the recording dynamics have changed a lot in recent years, right? People are flying in tracks a lot of times. They're not going to the studios. So what do you, what does someone like yourself, you know, tell to a, a bass player, you know, who is sudden, suddenly has the ability to be hyper-conscious about their performance and every little nuance and be like, oh, hold on, command Z, let me try that one more time. 
it, do you think it's important to just like just play it down, get the pass out of the way? Like, yeah. how do you how do you help us get away from that uh, that you know super controllingness? That's not a word, but well, you know, <laughs> that's um, it's a, like a bit of a, a, a modern condition, isn't it? It's because of the the options that are available with modern recording techniques um, and people having been perhaps privileged or lucky enough to kind of uh, be involved before those mm -hmm. table with a different you know like you just mentioned Pino and I, and I also thought Lee Clark Lee Clark yeah he always says about you know the, the first thing the first idea and the first take will always be the one um, and I generally I generally go down with that I, I, I laughed to myself when you when you said it because I was I was thinking of the fact that um, not being as good as those fantastic guys. Who <laughs> <laughs> I, I know that there's a producer that I used to work with so so much um, back in the day, and I haven't worked with him for a number of years. But um, but uh, he he was his name's Johnny Douglas, and he used to uh, produce George Michael, and mm. I did. I was lucky enough to do some good records with him, or um, records with great artists with. Um, Tina Turner and Tom Jones and yeah yeah and Johnny used to always kind of say even if I thought I'd nailed it on the second take or something like that he would always say oh no dude you got give me a third take he would always say your third take's always the one so clearly I'm not quite there yet <laughs> but, um, but it's definitely still <laughs> definitely still aiming towards yeah um, the take thing um uh, and I do, you know, I, I do still try to obviously kind of capture that that vibe. I'm, I'm not, I'm never thinking, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure the third one's the right one. I'm definitely trying with the, for the first. Interesting. And it happens, but but um, I think the thing, I think even if you kind of look at fantastic Steely Dan records and you know that you know they maybe did 80 takes of a particular tune. Yeah, yeah. There's still a vibe. Yeah. There's still a vibe, even if it is take 80. Um, and I think um, that comes from uh, an attitude to just committing to the to that moment. Yeah, Commit that's great. Yeah, well so said. Not kind of um, resting on something that's too preconditioned. You still kind of, even if it's, I mean, I'm, I haven't done any tunes where we've done that many takes. But you know, if you kind of, if you're if, if for whatever reason there's there's um you know you, you're kind of running a tune again and again, you still want to be in the moment and mm -hmm. making it feel like it's got that energy and it's got that and it oh, and also it's yeah. not just that energy, it's got that kind of spontaneity really is what you want isn't it? You want something yeah. just um where the where the everybody's little moments just kind of hopefully all just kind of yeah. Melt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a that's a great way to describe. Because to me, it's uh, well, you said it at the top. It's soul. It's got mm. a soul and an energy yeah, to the, it. Yeah, you want this, everybody's um, passion and soul at that moment to just kind of hopefully um, merge and and, uh, and for that to be the the recorded performance. That's yeah. what we're. All, I think that's what what really I mean. That's what makes. The great records. I don't think it's just because it's what we listened to when we were younger. I do think mm. of those great records, you can hear the hum humanity in them. You can hear, yeah, exactly that moment. You're, it's like you're you're immediately transported to that moment, and you hear that. And I used to love that when I used to listen to to um, free records. You know, which was I I loved Andy Frazee. He was one of my favorite um, and like first bass heroes. Um, but you'd hear like Paul Kossoff's the guitar player with Free. You'd hear his hands like move across the strings, and that used to I, that would send shivers down my spine because I loved that thing of feeling like I was like there or kind of hearing yeah. that particular moment. Um, and I think um, I still think that that's why certain styles of music or certain recordings and certain bands still capture people. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I feel like even people, you know, like Steely Dan, that's, that's a great example because those records are so, um, 
they're perfect. <laughs> you know, there's a there's a style like that, but they still have this soul and character, and you can hear these moments. Um, another person I think about that is uh, Pat Metheny on the jazz world, where you know even his performances. If you, I mean, I, I fortunately was able to see him live, and and yeah. you know, and you're hearing the record, but when he starts to solo, mm-hmm. um, it's a it's a unique expression, and they're still enjoying the parts that they came with. So they put like I don't, I love the, that you use that word that humanity in it as opposed to oh i just saw someone who clicked play and i think like soul and r&b you know and 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 the influence that like you said you know especially in the uk where there's a it's such a melting pot you know that music is also i think a unique uh genre to you know throw in a dose of humanity man there's something about you know the dominant seven chords you know that hit right and like a ton of bricks that you know just get you to kind of bend just enough to to remind you this is not you know something um, static, and so I love that you said that 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 their humanity because I I feel that same way about a lot of those records. They feel very human. It's hard mm-hmm. to articulate it sometimes, but but they absolutely do. Um, and I got we got let's talk about you know let's talk about the jazz bass. You're mm-hmm. someone of course who's playing a genre uh, like this that is so synonymous I think with the P bass. And you you have such a, a deep love and, and, and appreciation for the jazz bass in particular. What made you gravitate to that that guy? Well, my first basses were P basses um, or copies of P basses. And I still, I mean, I played a P bass earlier today. So I still love picking yeah. P bass. I do love that sound. And mm-hmm. I often will gra- gravitate towards a P bass in the studio, if I'm honest. They do just, they just sounds so good they sure just, yeah 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 you can hear the the note you can hear the pitch there's a, just that fantastic nose on the front of it but there's all that body there and if you do something up high the body's still there mm-hmm. and that i love about p bass but i feel that you can still get that from a jazz bass and um i just think that i remember when i first started playing jazz basses i kind of felt like I love the challenge of you kind of have to. It's almost like you have to learn how to play jazz. Interesting. Why do you say that? It's not disrespectful to any particular kind of. Um, certainly not to any players who play certain instruments. But yeah. I, I know from my own previous um, experiences that when I played, um, and, I, and I'm still a big lover of music man basses. When I, you know, I, I almost think a music man bass almost kind of plays itself. Mm. They're not one. They're not a one-trick pony or a one-sound bass like so. Like sometimes they're accused of being because you know you could listen to Bernard, you could listen to Lewis Johnson. They both sound totally different on on this. On yeah, yeah, definitely. But there's a sound I think that that is so fantastic. On I used a, a Stingray um, a lot with Annie Lennox, and there's something that's great about this, that sound for for a, for a kind of like stadium rock thing. So cool, and obviously they sound great for so much. They, they used on so many great funk records that they are clearly great in that genre as well but I think the jazz bass gives you this little kind of it gives you some of that punch mm-hmm. kind of get a little bit of that kind of low mid kind of thump that you yeah. get from a music man I think you can kind of get some of that from a jazz bass you can get the P bass thing I like to use the front pick on the P, on the jazz bass and sometimes really? yeah or I maybe just back up I think I think a jazz bass sounds most P bass like <laughs> when, when it's not just front pickup, when it's front pickup max, and maybe the back pickup on about maybe seven or eight, I think then interesting. The B bass, you roll the tone down a little, and you know, then I think that sounds cool. I love that sound. I like that for slapping, but I do think there's just more variation on the jazz bass, and I mean, so much of it obviously is hand movement. You can do that anyway on a, on whatever yeah. bass you're playing, but I think they respond to, to dynamics so nicely. Um, and you can kind of do that, that kind of a, I don't really go, necessarily go for the, for a Jacko-y kind of sound. I mean, mm-hmm. I love into bits and I love that vibe on a jazz bass, but you can definitely dial a little bit of that in on a, or I, I you know, I find that really useful on, on the Jamiroquai gig to kind of have a little bit of that. Or you can do the big kind of both pickups at full right over the pickup and kind of do a nice rootsy kind of. Yeah, kind of R and B kind of vibe. 
and they cross over so nicely to the pop. Thank yeah. you. That low mid bump is is yeah. very special. Oh, I really do like that a lot. And yeah. I, I just find that on gigs that works for me more than than, um, than any other instrument. Quite often if I, I play the, the music man, I can maybe play a couple of tunes and I've had it before. People kind of look up and think, wow, that sounds killer. <laughs> yeah, this sounds killer. And then you maybe do another tune, a ballad or something like that. I'm thinking, oh man, I wish I had a P bass on. Dude, but your your '60s J bass, man, that's a special I one. I think I think with a jazz bass, you, you can usually make the thing work for whatever. And don't get me wrong, I don't want to make excuses because you should be able to make whatever you've got in your hands work. But I just love the fact that with a jazz bass, it's it's all there. You can with a couple of moves of the hand or a yeah. tweak, you can you can really do anything. And I, I I have been very lucky with. I've got two great jazz basses. I, I've got a. Um, the 66, which mm-hmm. is fantastic, which I bought in New York. Oh, um, really? Where Where did you buy it? I bought it on um, 43 Guitars. Is it 43? Wow, man, and which is no that. longer around. Oh, right. Music I, bro. Bought, I played it at the garden that night. The night Really? And I played, I used it on every single gig or every single, everything that I did. Even if, even if it didn't get used on the whole gig or it didn't mm-hmm. get used. It went and got played on everything I did from that first day that I had it up until up until a few years ago when I got um, my Stenbach five string, which is just an incredible, incredible instrument. Because I've, I'm on record as saying, old is better than new, yeah. old is five, end of story. Yeah. And, that, <laughs> and I wasn't being disrespectful because I had some great five string basses that I loved. Yeah. But I always felt like when I went back to the fore, I'd be like, oh man, this is where it's at. Stenbeck's kind of made me eat my words a little because um, sometimes people can't even tell whether or not it's my my sixties yeah. or that, and and it's got so much. It responds so. What I don't like about it, a lot of modern bases, I don't feel that they have the dynamic response. They don't respond to how I'm used to playing, and that seems to um, have all of that. Yeah. So. so but it's the '60s jazz bass is still my reference, and then I have a um, I have a nice '77 jazz bass as well, which um, does have a preamp in it. Jimmy Capolo put a preamp in it for me mm-hmm. years ago. Shout out to Jimmy. Yeah, and um, and he did a refret on it for me as well, and that's a killer bass. In fact, I sold it and then bought it back about two years ago. Wow! Later. So I'm glad I got it back. And and actually, a funny thing happened a few years ago when. Um, Marcus Miller actually borrowed it for a radio. Whoa, that is so cool. He did in the UK. And his bass had been flown to France and he was traveling via the UK to do this. Yeah. Stop and didn't have a bass and, and a mutual <laughs> suggested that I that I meet him and he so he used that bass. So obviously that's a keeper now. I, I can't. Oh, sure. Yeah. it's it's all these instruments i feel like any any vintage fender that you grab that you know it's got it because there was a lot that didn't you know and but if you have one that hasn't man you you hold on to that sucker for for life so i have my i have that's an ash maple um and it's or it's it's kind of off white but it's an ash yeah um, and with a with a preamp and that kind of does that vibe so brilliantly and then my then my sixty jazz bass, which is just and huge. and speaking of preamps, you I mean to to talk, you've been such a, a an incredible supporter and and friend, of course, you know to the Aguilar team and family and mm-hmm. and um and we're so grateful for for all your years of support. But I know recently you've uh, going back into the uh, Aguilar catalog, you have have uh, revisited the DB six eighty. Yes, yeah. How I, has that been? Tell I, us about I've that. Because I've had that for some time and and um, and kind of used it at home, but not taken it to not taken it to studios really. Mm. Um, but since <laughs> since lockdown, <laughs> I've had it on the desk and I've got a couple of other great pre's, but I've been using the the six eighty and loving it to bits and just remembering just what what it's yeah so great at, which you know it's just like having that kind of nice chubby warmth, but a real kind of clarity and, and edge that that's yeah super cool super super cool because yeah um it doesn't sound harsh but it's but it's got a, a lot of 
a lot of clarity while still having some serious kind of booty and and, and yeah fun. it's definitely a special piece of gear yeah. and right. and so if y'all everybody if you can find one go grab one oh, yeah. uh and uh but it's really cool to hear you know you still using that and and getting what you need out of it and uh oh, and, yeah man and and as far as um you know i'm i feel it's an easy it's an easy choice for me to to uh kind of use and you, you say be loyal and be part of the family, but I've always felt that I don't want to use any, I don't use any gear because um, somebody's been kind and, and, help, and helping me or. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate the support. I really appreciate the support, but but I think it's way more important to use what, you, what works for you and what you believe in. And so, you know, um, and I, I kind of have always stuck to that. And, not to a point where I would ever want to kind of uh, miss out on, on kind of uh, finding something that is fantastic. But yeah, yeah, I yeah, yeah. Always manage to just do exactly what I what I want and what I need. And from from the beginning of Jamiroquai, that was two thousand five. That was pretty much when when you started doing speaker cabinets mm-hmm. because I used a couple of pre's before in the studio. Yeah. Um, and I was all, I was quite set on having a pre and then finding some speakers that I would like to match it with. Around um, 2003 to 2005, I, I used a, two different a sing I can't remember the, the actual model number, but the single rack. Um, yeah, the the 359. Yeah, yep. And I had that with a couple of different power amps, and I tried that with different um, speakers, and. The speaker cabinets were developed around or available 2005. Mm-hmm. I think it was probably 2004 into 2000. With the GS cabinets, those yeah. were some of the, yeah, the, the, used the 412 and you also had the 410s. Yeah, yeah and that was um, right right at the onset of me um, starting with Jamiroquai. So it's always been, um, I've always used Aguilar for, for everything, as in yeah. speakers as well as amps and, and what have you. And, um, I mean everything across the Fantastic. whole. Fantastic. I have some bases with the pickups. My my seventy seven Jazz actually has sixty yeah. pickups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is a nice mix. Yeah, I think I think that works really, really great. I still have the original Fender seventies, and I tried the Aguilar seventies in there, which were very close to the original seventies. But I really like the sixties in in the seventies. Yeah. That really works. And I have um, I have some single cores in a fretless. And I have, um, you know, the, the, the pedals. Mm-hmm. It just works so well. I mean, and the DB nine twenty five is is coming your way, so can't wait I, for you I, to try that. Today for the first time, I just really, yeah, it's awesome. I mean, I'm not a, a massive active bass fan. Yeah, but um, I had uh, a Jimmy Capolo five string with an Aguilar pre, even though Jimmy's famous for making great pre's um, I actually had a, an Aguilar in, in, it, in the base that I had and that always worked great and so if I'm going that route the you know the, the OB-1 is still yeah it's a special special unit something cool if you want that kind of active jazz bass sound yeah that's a killer pre yeah and so definitely with the 925 it's great for people like you know who have passive instruments that just mm-hmm. want something to add some lift and some character to it without of course throwing a preamp in the bass you know and wanting to leave things in touch not worry yeah, about batteries I but yeah and I, I have this thing about it always affects the top end no matter what you know there's a, just having the battery in there affects the top end in a way that i'm not a fan of so mm-hmm. i generally like to just leave things passive and then hit a button if i want yeah well there you go well thank i mean paul we, again we we appreciate your your support and your friendship and uh-huh. and uh paul we always we always like to end the show with uh tell us what you're spinning these days man well spinning if, if you're spinning vinyl some some people aren't but oh, I, you know, I, I still have vinyl i don't have a turntable anymore and that's something that i i need to to get sorted out I, oh, someone go help paul out send him a turntable oh man i made some foolish moves a few years ago um but what are you listening to these days? Well, you mentioned Pat Metheny earlier on. I'm st- I still, I, I did a, a little interview a few weeks ago and I had to kind of own up to still buzzing off the things that I used to listen to or have listened to for most of my life. So I'm still, <laughs> still enjoying listening to, to um, Pat Metheny, especially like East Demi era. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Early Weather Report. 
I look, I'm, I mean, I'm still in the car. I still have the best two funk albums of all time, in my opinion, which is Nard by Bernard Wright and, and the Dom. Bernard Wright. Um, I, so I'm, I still kind of rinse all of those things and, and still love um, so much of that kind of classics, 70s funk and soul era and jazz um, you know, some of the classic kind of jazz fusion yeah. in, that, in that time. Definitely but Bernard Wright. I feel like we could do a whole episode on him. One of the most under, uh, to me at least in the public, underappreciated, underrated, you know, influencers as a, as a keyboardist to bass players, as a, as a mentor to so many people. Um, I know for Michael League, Bernard Wright was such a massive influence for oh, him. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, that man, if you want to, you know, Don Blackman album's probably it's just wall-to-wall killer grooves and killer playing by Barry Johnson. But um, but on the Nard album, I mean, there's everything on there. Yeah. There's everything. There's everything. So yeah. That, that. So definitely, folks, go get go go pick up some Bernard Wright albums. Just buy all of them. Um, I'm aware. You know, in the in the house, we we have quite a, there's a a fourth peck appreciation society here too. My my, my <laughs> them and, and as as do i you know um so you know we'll kind of put some of that on the, on our uh sonos I should, i'm ashamed to say instead of my turntable <laughs> no shame here yeah you know some some thundercat or thundercat yeah man another one uh, his new album is what it is uh, which came out recently fantastic album so so go hear that another another friend and family member of the the aguilar crew and uh paul thank you i mean like we appreciate you've just been incredible on this show thank you for your wisdom your insight everything that you've shared with us this has been fantastic and uh and hopefully we can do this again in the future man and, and stay yeah at some point in the future I can actually be back in New York. Yes, we can't wait to have you back at the loft, and uh, and we'll definitely we'll definitely shoot some videos. We'll teach us some of the, some of that funk, man. Okay. Just uh, so bless us over there in New York, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us on Aguilar Radio with uh, our friend Paul Turner. Paul, thank you so much again, my friend. Thank you. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks for having me.